hear from you. With the threat of reduced federal funding for public radio, first-time contributors are more important now than ever. Call 713-526-5738 now to make your tax-deductible contribution or pledge online at kpft.org. We need your pledge. You make a huge difference in this radio station when you pledge to KPFT. Again, that number is 713-526-KPFT. Call and make your tax-deductible contribution today. You can also pledge online at kpft.org. This is commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio. KPFT, Houston. What inspired me to write this book, I think, was the moment. Something I said in 2016 went viral. I said there is no such thing as an illegal human being or illegal is not a noun in reference to illegal immigrants, a term I don't use. And someone said, you know, you should write that book. And that was the original idea of the book. It is my story of being a Mexican immigrant woman in the United States growing up on the south side of Chicago. But really, it is a story about immigration policy. It's also a story about women's history. It's a story about civil rights. It's a story about immigration. The first person who read this book, aside from myself and my editors, was the actor Raul Castillo. He said, Maria, thank you. I now feel like I am armed with knowledge. And that's not necessarily what you expect people to say when they're reading a memoir. I, I hope that people come away with one knowing me, knowing my heart a little bit. I try to share my battles with ego and insecurity and the imposter syndrome and not feeling good enough um, and yet overcoming that. And so I hope people, you know, enjoy kind of and learn from that and get inspired. But also it's about this moment and I'm I'm proud that I'm sharing this with people who live in this country and the rest of the world. I hope people use this book to, to become better human beings and to do better. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always más. Welcome to Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having Their Say. This is Tony Diaz. We have a special one-hour edition today focusing on legendary journalist Maria Hinojosa, who you've known from CNN, Latino USA, and from supporting the Libro Traficantes and Nuestra Palabra for many years. We're very excited that she has a new book out called Once I Was You. You heard... A little bit about why she wrote the book at the top of the show. We're also going to have a reading from her. But we have an in-depth discussion, the puro corazón with her. Additionally, we're so excited that she'll be joining us in Houston for a virtual reading. You hear us figure it out on the air <laughs> because she wants to make sure she connects with the gente of Houston, Texas and all of our followers and members really have a space in their heart for her and believe me the book is going to blow you away so since we recorded the interview we've now come up with the reading it will be saturday october 10th i don't want to ruin the historical archive of this but i have to mention it because this really was organic to our cause and we've had to adapt to this epidemic that shut us down and we have we reinvented hispanic heritage month that's why we're calling it the ultimate hispanic heritage month we're thrilled to have a one hour special today with maria inahosa talking about her new book once i was you and we're even more thrilled 
to reinvent the Nuestra Palabra Showcase. So we're going to be celebrating not just District H with City Council Representative Carla Cisneros and the Nuestra Palabra Community Representative for District H, Laurie Flores. We're going to be talking to live on Facebook, Maria Hinojosa. So listen today, get your questions together. We're working with Brazos Bookstore. They have her book there in person. So it's easy to pick up the book ahead of time. And also, just information-wise, you can also order the book through the link and the portal to Brazos Bookstore. This is exciting. This is what you expect. This is what we will deliver. This is Tony Diaz. Happy Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month. Esa niña no se aguanta. Quiere todo porque el pib sabe a panta. Si la dejas por nepejo se te casa. Dale todo, dos de lengua y una horchata. Si te alcanza. I'm the shit, huh? Are you catching what I'm going for? I pick up. Same that I always was, now I'm just richer. I'm about to shake it up and check the Richter. This a sticker. You say some things your numbers don't say. I got some kids with toys that don't play. Kilo de azúcar pa' mi con flay. I don't need roses, pour me rose. Yo soy santa. Baby, yo soy vale madre, bosca chancla. Lo que yo sí tengo mucho a ti te falta. Y si quieres yo te enseño con el ram, pa' pa' pam, ram, pa' pa' pam, pam. Yo soy santa. Baby, yo soy vale madre, bosca chancla. Lo que yo sí tengo mucho a ti te falta. Y si quieres yo te enseño con el ram, pa' pa' pam, ram, pa' pa' pam, pam. Don't try to play me, baby. I'm a Michoacana, which means I've been a Mexican snack and I'll split your banana. Solo yo sé mi rollo, guayaba, también sácate cana. Me encanta la línea de panta porque nadie me aguanta por eso. I've been on my grind, I've been on my grind. They've been cold and I've been on, but my name's Snow, I got it. And it's ice on my chest, you can suck a paleta if you hate. Aquí se respeto, te empaco maleta por güey. No soy santa, baby, yo soy vale madre, bosca chancla. Lo que yo sí tengo mucho a ti te falta. Y si quieres yo te enseño con el ram, pa, pa, pam, ram, pa, pa, pam. No soy santa, baby, yo soy vale madre, boca chancla. Lo que yo sí tengo mucho a ti te falta. Y si quieres yo te enseño con el ram, pa, pa, pam, ram, pa, pa, pam, pam. I don't need roses, pour me rose. Mami got rosaries and gon' pray. These kids got toys and no, they don't play. Quiero un kilo de azúcar pa' mi con play. Look, I don't need roses, pour me rose. Mami got rosaries and gon' pray. You're tuning into Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. This is Tony Diaz, and we're so happy to celebrate the new book by a icon of journalism, Una Héroe de los Latinos, our dear friend, Maria Hinojosa, with her new book, Once I Was You, a memoir of love and hate in a torn America. Un abrazo grande, hermana. Qué gusto saludarte. ¿Cómo estás? Hey, Tony. What's up, Houston? What's up, Texas? Tony, what's up? Thank you for doing this. Uh, I, I mean, you know, your family. So this is um, this is truly an honor. This is this is what I dream of in terms of once I was you is getting into the community, into our city, connecting on this level. So thank you so much. No, and thank you for staying true to the cause for so long. I definitely want to talk about that. I know our listeners, anyone who works with us, know how important a book is. But I never imagined we'd be talking remotely during a COVID-19 epidemic leading up to an election. I, I figured this moment would come and we'd be getting people fired up for a live reading with you. Donde se va llenar, okay? <laughs> like all of us teaming up for a live reading in Houston, Texas. We would, you know, <laughs> pack a building, but it's different times. So I, I think I want to... Wait, 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 wait a second, Tony. Let's do that. Now that you mention it. Here's my challenge to Nuestra Palapa. Let's do a live reading of you choose one, two, or three segments of Once I Was You. Hook it up. Let's choose a day, and I'll do a live reading. And it will be like we're together. Um, and it will be <laughs> for La Comunidad de Nuestra Palabra, because why not? Like, I just... So, are we going to do that? I <laughs> We accept the challenge, and what I love is... We're <laughs> <laughs> we are innovating. And I think that's what you're a testament to in that... If there's a barrier, nos unemos and we come up with a solution because 
Let me let me tell you something. Here in Houston, Texas, of course, everybody knows how we're getting hit harder by the COVID nineteen epidemic. But what they don't know is that, <clears throat> for example, during Hispanic Heritage Month, because of COVID. Las Fiestas Patrias Parade, which has got 50 years of history, has been canceled. So events are shutting down. So right now, you're firing us up because we have to accelerate, not slow down. So I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, Tony, I, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm actually, I feel a lot of pain for Texas. I've been feeling it in my heart for a long time because, as you know, I'm a survivor of COVID early on. When many states and governors were making fun of New York City and kind of like, oh, you know, those those dirty New Yorkers that they're just from all over and they have, you know, germs coming from all over the world, et cetera, et cetera. Just kind of that's when I got sick. And um, and so um, I just want to say that uh, I, I do feel what's going on in Texas deeply. I'm very worried. Esto es en serio. So do take care of yourselves. You know, in New York, we all wear the mask all the time, even when we don't need to be wearing the mask. Like when you're walking alone in the park and no one's around, you see people wearing a mask because it is a sign of respect for the other. Who's like my favorite quote of all time is Mr. Presidente Benito Juarez. El respeto al derecho ajeno es la paz. It's respect for the other person's right is your piece. And so by putting on my mask, I'm respecting your right to live, for God's sake. Anyway, so I just got, it, it's like, you know, I'm grateful every day that I wake up and that I can breathe and that a week passes when I don't hear someone who I know or know someone who passed away from COVID. So, so, so be strong. Tejanos, we need you. And I'm glad you did mention that because believe it or not, it's still an issue. I will say this. There are more people wearing their masks on a regular basis because se desprendió la luz finally at the governmental levels that were defying it. But I still personally run into people that want to make it a debate. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Por, por lo menos para que nuestra comunidad sepa que es importante, para que se protejan, because we're being affected profoundly. So thank you for that, for that message. But that's not a unique message to you because what I love about your book is that obviously you hit the aesthetics of a memoir profoundly but i also love that even as we're conversing all your details conjure latino values latino history latino corazon and i hope people understand what a expert at craft you are but i imagine it's a tug because when you're a journalist you can't write this way but then when we want to hear your memoir you got to lean in is that a constant tug or is this just a gift <laughs> no you know i <clears throat> when i when i'm writing because this is you know i wrote raising Raul back in 1999 mm-hmm. is when it was published it was um raising Raul adventures raising myself and my son and i realized that when i write i like to write the way i talk and the way I talk is very storytelling-like, very effusive, very, you know, uh, I, I like to think, you know, that there's a little bit of humor that I, you know, that I allow myself to make kind of connections um, as I'm writing. And that's, you're right. That's not the way you write for radio. When you write for radio, it's like, I've got you know, 30 seconds to get through from <laughs> point A to point D, you know, and, and then I've got, you know, a bit of, that I'm going to use, I'm going to insert, you know, in this case, Estrella's voice, and then I'm going to come back and I've got another, you know, 15 seconds. So it's a different kind of writing. But it is into it. Um, I have to say, Tony, you know, as, as a writer, I'm, like all writers, very insecure. And so this notion that people like you, who are deep thinkers about writing, um, and your followers are connecting precisely with the writing is something that is bringing me a lot of joy because it is, um, you know, Sandra Cisneros, who's my muse, um, you know, taught me first, like, write as if you're sitting in your kitchen in tus pijamas. Así tienes que escribir. And then I remember journalistically, and I write about this in the book, I was taught by, I can't remember who, somebody muy sabio who said, 
or maybe it was me, I can't remember, but basically it was like, um, write a news story as if you're telling it to your mother. Oye, mi mamá, déjame que te cuente lo que pasó hoy. And then also um, write about the things that, as Sandra Cisneros said to me, that you wish you could forget. And then you have to think about the things you wish you could forget, the things you don't want to remember. Then you get into another kind of writing, which is pretty intimate and deep and scary sometimes. Um, but I, I just am so appreciative because what I am trying to say here is, yes, a lot of us have these same experiences, whether like the imposter syndrome that I write about a lot. I wasn't planning on writing about that. And simply saying we share a lot of these commonalities and I want you to see a little bit of what it looks like in my heart. So, yeah, thank you for asking. It is, it is a constant back and forth, but at the same time, when I'm writing the book, I was very lucky. <clears throat> I was very lucky because I was just able to say to my team, I'm going to disappear. You're not going to see me. You'll see me to record the show, and that's it. And they gave me the time, the intensive time, so that I could only focus on this kind of writing, and I think that's why I was able to do it. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because... I think what's also fundamental is that, again, I got to stress this, and I stress this for, for all of our thinkers. We are intellectuals. You're, you're brilliant. And, and I bring this up because in the old days when people saw writing by Chicanas, Chicanos, they said it was writing from the heart, meaning that it told a story but didn't have the aesthetics. Yours hits all of that. But as a professional, and there's not, a, there's not enough Latinos at a high level, but when they get to that level, they want to close off. It, it, you're really sharing a lot, <laughs> and I appreciate that because <laughs> to read that you had imposter syndrome is healing. Because I'm like, what? But yeah, you know, what's... <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, well, she could fly through the air, break through brick walls, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and you, you, know what? you really I, go there. I, yeah, because, um, I actually believe deeply that you can, not everybody can or should, but that you can do solid professional journalism from the heart. I do believe that. Mm. And, and, and so I, you know, when they want to dismiss, they, you know, the critics, although, you know, my piece was reviewed in the New York Times and it got raving reviews and in the San Francisco Chronicle, raving, you know, starred reviews from publishers, reading and so um, I actually am trying to say, actually moving with heart as a writer or as a journalist is doable and necessary. Doable and necessary. Um, and not, I guess not everybody, I, I am able to live in that space. I've always felt comfortable connecting with my heart. I think I learned that. No, I know I learned that from my mom. By the way, my dad was not connecting with his heart at all. Maybe rest in peace. Uh, my dad was in people, you know, he was a medic, he was a, a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. um, he was dedicated to research and his laboratory, so he did not move in the world um, mm -hmm. with his heart. He moved with his brain. He was a genius. He was an absolute genius who helped to create the cochlear implant. Amazing. <clears throat> Amazing. But, but I do appreciate what you're saying, which is we put a lot of academic thumbs if you will, like to take it, literary oomph. Mm -hmm. You know, my editor is Michelle Everett Mulligan, who is, we just look up oh her. Oh my goodness, resume. She's, we love Michelle. She's a thing. Yeah, Michelle is my editor from Simon wow. & Schuster. Simon & Schuster, or Simon & Schuster, um, you know, <laughs> she, <laughs> she's my editor. My agent is Adriana Dominguez. Uh, uh, <laughs> we know uh, My awesome. personal editor my personal editor who I worked with on a daily basis um, and who helped me craft the outline is Katie Salisbury. And Katie is half Chinese um, from Stanford, uh, you know, and so we worked very deeply and she also is like, oh my God, she's so smart. Oye, me toda esa gente que va a Stanford, oye, me. I was just like, damn. But Katie moves with heart as an editor. She moves with her heart. Um, so I do want to say that we, we thought very hard and, and long about what kind of message, what kind of book. It was going to be a big book. It was going to be about connecting with the heart, but we were also going to give you your finish. Mm -hmm. 
We are going to tell you the history you need to know and understand your place so that you don't internalize, by the way, lo peor, mm-hmm. right? Lo peor. All of this is so that you don't internalize the self-hate, the self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, the I'm not good enough, all of those things which are a natural response to the times we're living in. We're, we're, we're hated on by the administration, Oyeme. We are, you know. I mean, and I know that there are some of your listeners who may be uh, supporters of Donald Trump, and we can certainly talk about that, but there is no doubt that this particular president um, has no problem uh, attacking verbally Latinos, Latinas, Mexicans, and immigrants, and Puerto Ricans. Well, and to that, because fine, if people want to have their own political affiliations, that's one thing. However, we can point to specific moments where he's attacked immigrants and also Mexican-Americans when he attacked Judge Curiel, which I think that's that's the anxiety we all probably have because you are taking a gamble with your career and uh, Simon Schuster's investing resources, but you've assembled like the A-team <laughs> of the Latina intelligentsia, but it's still a gamble because we're not imagined as intellectuals and we're attacked even when we succeed and we don't succeed. You know, l- let me build on it because I do want to get back to, to that issue because I do want to talk about Tornio Tejas, which you write about also. Uh, but I do also want to add the gamble you're taking may look one way on the page, but you've invested time, energy, and money in creating a media empire on top of all of that. I love, too, that you have this whole dimension sharing what that was like and it's it's been big T- tell me tell folks a little more about the struggles because i want them to understand futuro media is a legacy to our gente latino USA is a legacy oh. To our gente. oh tony thank you so much sweetie really i appreciate when you speak in that way you know i have to go into the studio and record the audio version of this book and la verdad, la verdad, i was terrified because i was like oh my god this is going to be hours of recording and it was it was pretty intense work I did it in one week because I was like, I want to, I want to just do this and be done with it. But there was a moment towards the end of the book when I'm reading it out loud and I'm writing about the creation of Futuro and I'm like, go Maria. And I'm like, wait a minute, you wrote the book. You can't be championing this. I'm like, go, go, you, you, you go and create Futuro Media. They didn't give you that. You, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's it. Like, you know. But I did, I did, I mean, I wrote it very honestly and creating Futuro Media was, it really was um, an incredibly special but incredibly risky thing to do, mm-hmm. born out of frustration because Latinos and Latinas and immigrants um, and journalists of conscience, and you don't need to be of color to be a journalist of conscience, you know, when we are faced with these particular challenges, we have to kind of meet the moment. And don't say, yeah, 60 minutes basically told me, you know, wait. And I was like, wait, wait for what? <laughs> and, 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 and I know many of your listeners will identify because I got home and I called my sister and I started crying. And I said, but Elena, it's gonna, I can't get on unemployment. You know, how am I going to tell that to dad? How will I say to my father, puppy, I had to go on unemployment, which is too bad because I should have gone on unemployment. I deserved it, you know. But I think it's that immigranty thing mm-hmm. in me that was just like, no. And, and you know, Deepa Donde, who lives in Austin, Texas, who is the chair of my board and one of my oldest friends, um, she was the one who had said, create your own thing. And, and I just said, okay, well, how am I going to do this? Right, well, there's one person who I know who can help me. And so I got in touch with that person. And that's how we did it. That's That's how we... You know, and then we had another person join us who was like, yeah, I want to try and help you do this. And then we had another person join us. And then we got our first grant. And Futuro Media is now 10 years old. We are, as far as we know, I'm the only Latina running a nonprofit independent newsroom in the United States. Um, Which we should pause and and congratulate that because that is a huge... That's a huge landmark. If I don't think there really is, <laughs> I mean, the journalist in you wants to make sure that there's you're not taking claim to something. Something is it's not the case. There's just there's not, and 
and yeah. you're right. <laughs> you're racking up millions of of views and listeners. So, congratulations. That's right. See, that's why people love you, though, Tony, because you really love to applaud and support people and just kind of say, "God, you got this. Keep going." Um, yeah. So you know, I didn't really think about Futuro being a landmark or historic. Really, it was like I got a I got a problem. But let me find a solution. Let me create this thing. Let me see if I can do this. Let me see if my nonprofit can survive, you know, past three years. I mean, Nuestra <clears throat> Palabra is such an important legacy organization as well. That's all you, Toby. <clears throat> yes, so, um, Thank you. So, so now Futuro is growing. I mean, I even have some news, but I can't share it. Oh, but it's man. Big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, what, one thing I can share Please. <laughs> is, so as, as Futuro is growing, you know, um, so I'm taking on a different role, right? So Erica Dilday, African-American woman from the South via Boston and now Harlem, she is our CEO and executive director. Um, I am now um, uh, an official vice president of the company, right, because I'm part of the company, but I have created a unit within Futuro that we call the FU, which is Futuro Unidad Inojosa. Mm. So not the FA, but the FU. <laughs> and I, I am now I'm now able to kind of take projects on and create projects that wow. I'm interested in doing because Latinos USA is doing this thing and that's growing and in the thick is growing and so I'm just saying that here's my here's my happy spot right now as we're speaking is I know that over the next month or so um, I'm going to be able to employ several wow. <laughs> uh, several journalists Incredible. and this it's journalists and producers and, um, you know, sound artists. Um, yeah. So if you're out there and wow. look on our website, the sites are post, you know, the, 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 the jobs will be posted there. And that kind of skit Tony gives me so much. Wow. And like, this is incredible, um, that I've been able to create this thing that now is growing. And, and many of our, not many, some of our employees, um, you know, have left and gone to work for the top markets, you know, whether it's uh, the New York Times and the Daily or it's now Vice, although, you know, I got some issues with Vice, but okay, Vice or <laughs> This American This American Life or Mother Jones, like our, the people who work with us when they choose to leave, um, they go to even more amazing places. So you're right, this is a legacy organization. Futuro es parte de la comunidad. And um, I don't know, I just, I have these very specific memories of being in Houston throughout my life. And um, and I just want to give a shout out to Houston because um, it's a very special place. Uh, I have, like I said, I have very particular images. One in particular was when I went to give a lunch speech. Oh my goodness. The women of Houston do not play at their so. luncheons. No, no, no. Oh, my God, they bring it. So I'm just saying, social consciousness does not mean you can't have a sense of style. And the women of Houston, y'all bring it. And Houston loves you back. I do want to remind folks, actually, I'm trading notes here with some of our crew. They're, we're coming up with what we just said. So we're going to have you back. We're going to do a special event during the Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month, where you're reading selections from the book just for Houston, Texas, of course, remotely and with a great reading. So we appreciate that very much. So the love is go back. <laughs> special project <laughs> for Houston. Thank you for giving this a special announcement. The The other thing I want to throw in, and I do want to talk about the, the section in your book, um, Illegal is Not a Noun, especially because you bring up Hato and Tornillo, but let's go back to El Paso. Because you were saying, you know, you didn't want to wait for 60 minutes. That makes complete sense. We know that. However, waiting doesn't work because it was just last year that there was a slaughter of Mexicanos, Mexican-Americans, Chicanos in El Paso. And the mainstream media revealed that the, the mainstream media revealed that it didn't have enough of our own voices. It didn't have enough Latinos Chicanas, Mexicanas, to talk about the slaughter of Latinas, Mexicanos, Chicanos. You were that voice pushing for it. I would have, so that was amazing. I would have to say, though, you do have to do this on your own because a year later, in my humble opinion, 
whatever the mainstream system tried to do to address that has faded and it's taking you with this project of 10 years to create more journalists and to write your own book to keep adding to it. Um, I, I think that seems to be the only way to get the mainstream media to respond to our voices. Is that fair to say or what are your thoughts? What we are experiencing now, I want to be sure that people understand we are not being gaslit, okay? We, Latinos and Latinas and immigrants, and, and we others, so I speak broadly too, whether you are gay, um, lesbian, uh, Muslim, trans, um, immigrant, not born in this country, Latino, Latina, we are being targeted. And so... Um, I, I just want people to understand that when you feel like uh, like you you don't matter, it's because you're you're getting that message right all the time. So for me, um, I understand. What I try to do is I try to take this feeling of disempowerment, and I try to, you know. You see it in the book. You see it in, in the way in which I'm trying to transform because I'm struggling like everybody else. But we, the thing about Latinos and Latinas and the other in this country is that we are not going anywhere. We have always been here. And we have to begin to make these legacy ties, Tony. Mm. You know, I um, on, on many interviews, I talk about the fact that um, I live not far from a statue of Frederick Douglass. And I don't live far from the statue of Harriet Tubman. And so my legacy is connected to them. My legacy is connected to Jovita Idad to bring it to El Paso. Jovita Idad, many, many people don't know who she is. People in El Paso, some know. She is a badass American, Mm. Latina, Mexican-American journalist from El Paso who in the early 1900s, they tried to, the Texas Rangers tried to shut down her paper mm. in El Paso, mm-hmm. and she stood up to them. So when your question is, do we have enough Latinos and Latinas? No, and that's why I was saying, we, you're like, well, you know, maybe there's enough of us. Maybe we shouldn't complain. No, we are being made invisible as we speak. Mm. Right now, right now, this week, as we're speaking, is going to be the first presidential debate, you know? And I'm like, there were no there are no Latinos or Latinas who are moderators. Como puede ser eso? Man, no, that's terrible. I, I, as you you saw you saw what I put on my Twitter. I said, mm-hmm. you know what I'd like to see? What I dream is that is that all of our all of those people who were named to be moderators would say, we're not going to moderate until you name Latinos and Latinas to be our co-moderators. Mm-hmm. We won't do this. Don't understand? Where is the solidarity? Now, the reason why it matters is because when Latinos and Latinas are made invisible, and that's why in Houston it's a little bit like, mm, you know, maybe maybe it's different on a, because you're so, everybody's so present, Latinos are so present. And yet at the same time, on a national scale, we're invisible. I should be, not because of my big ego, although I try to always keep my ego in check, but I should be on primetime cable news Definitely. this evening mm-hmm. or, or sometime this week. I'm not scheduled to be on any time this week. And I hope, you know, I hope that the other two or three Latinos or Latinas are scheduled. But to be on, on any of the cable news channels. Um, but we, we are kind of disappearing, even though we're the second largest voting block. Mm. So when we are invisible and made to feel invisible and invisibilized on a national scale, Los que perdemos somos todos, no solamente los latinos. It's not just Latinos who lose because of that. The entire country is Latino and Latina. Latinos and Latinas, believe me, not just in Texas. We're in Idaho, Mississippi, South Carolina, Arkansas, (laughs) Oklahoma, Kansas City, Iowa, Alaska, Hawaii, Mm -hmm. Ota, where? I, I, I was like, maybe not in Guam. (laughs) <laughs> which is part of the United States. Maybe, but, but but actually, you know, Latinos are a big part of the military, so they are they are there <laughs> because Guam is a huge military base. Um, so we are everywhere. So if we're invisible, it's bad for everybody. It's bad for our democracy. It's bad for the economy. And I'm tired of it because it's not political. 
It's not a political thing. And y'all keep on making it a political thing. That's a powerful point. And and again, I want to stress that with the book, you bring so much of that home. I want to close by by talking about one of the chapters. And by the way, when we do our awesome event for the Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month, I will ask you to read from the beginning of Illegal is Not a Noun. Very, very powerful and profound. And for our gente de Texas, you bring up Huddo, and a lot of us remembering protesting that. You bring up Tornillo, where a whole other saga began. And I want to read one of these passages. Que, uh, just, I mean, many times in the book I had to stop and just dwell and think. But here's this one passage. Uh, the message was clear. Since we didn't build the wall and Mexico didn't pay for it, and you brown people insist on coming here, we're going to take away your kids to punish you and make you never even think about coming to this country. That is a memoir. Uh, tell us about going there and tell us about chronicling. At the same time, you chronicle usage for journalism because you, you remind me that some major inst institutions still have not caught on to this. You know, Michelle Herrera Mulligan was the one who was like, you have to write about this and it has to be a big chunk of the book. You know, your experience of being one of the first national journalists to go into the camera um, to a detention camp. We went into Willisie, which is in Raymondville, not far from Harlingen, um, Texas, on the border. Um, it was horrific what I saw. Uh, many years later, you're right, I was at Huddo, where we were documenting the consistent sexual assault and rape of women. Um, many years later, I was at, at that transformed the Walmart run by Southwest Key, the head of whom was a Latino. Hmm. Um, so I've been to these places, and they are horrible. I did not get inside to see the places where they house the children in the cages, but I can imagine. It doesn't, you know... Here's the question is, how, how is it possible that a human being, a Latino man, could drive by uh, an empty Walmart or Kmart, whatever it was, and say, wow, that's mm. a great place to house children. Mm. Wow, let me just take a bunch of stainless steel cages, make them, make them like, and we'll just, we'll just house children. What kind of a demonic mind thinks mm. like that? That is the highest level of dehumanization. Because, you know, as horrific as it is, and, and I, I do believe that this entire system needs to be shut down, period. Not like a little bit, not made better, not, no, no, shut down, period. Mm, amen. Um, you know, in New York, when they transfer these children, when these children who have been taken from their parents end up in a city like New York, and they do end up here because New York has the resources to take care of children. In this case, what they do is they put them into foster care. So, so they sleep at a foster care home at night, and during the day, they're in some kind of a program in a space. So that's not that, that's not a great solution, but it certainly isn't making kids sleep in a cage. Mm. I mean, being in foster care, you're, you're subject to other problems. Like it turned out in New York that suddenly you had um, foster care families where there were like eight, ten kids in one house because they they needed they needed they they it was it was too many children arriving. So it's not good. We are, we are, we are, we are not just bodies to be flung around. That's not what we are. We're human beings, and we're desperate. The people who are showing up now, asking to come here, son los más desesperados, and they're the people who, in the midst of tremendous fear and agony, still have the capacity to get up and get out. Many of us get stuck. You know, we can't move. So the, the people who actually make it out are like the badasses of the movie. Mm -hmm. And this administration is saying to them, you sleep outside on the concrete in Mexico until you can't take it anymore. And if you get in, by the way, no one is getting it out. But if you were to get in back then, we're going to put you in La Yelera. We're going to freeze you because you're just a piece of meat. And freezing you is torture that leaves 
snow marks on your body. And then we're going to put you in a dog cage and feed you rotten food and psychologically torture you day after day by denying you sleep. These are all things that I have heard documented. They do not let the women sleep. This is torture. Oyeme, oye And I say this with the firmness of that suddenly Tony was like, oh my God, he sounds like my mother. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. With, with, with the tone of my mother, there are Latinos and Latinas and African Americans and black people who are working in these places and participating on a daily basis in the dehumanization. And it is not enough as the Nazi soldiers and those who work in the concentration camps that I was just following orders, or as the, 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 the Chinese the government officials who were taking babies away when, when families were having more than one baby, saying, I was just following orders. No. No. This is a time for you to stop, speak up, get in touch with me, become a whistleblower, tell us what is happening, because these places must be shut down. And you know what, Tony, mark my words, I hope in 10 and 20 years, these places are written about and said, how, how did people let this happen? Mm. And so part of my, part of the message of my book is if, if once I was you and you are me, then every single one of us has a responsibility to do something on a daily basis to stop this narrative. We, we have to do it. Nobody else is going to do it, but us. Powerful Testament. We've been talking to nuestra hermana, nuestro héroe, Maria Hinojosa, her new book, Once I Was You, A Memoir of Love and Hate in a Torn America. And we're going to welcome her back to Houston. We will be announcing on our website the date that she'll be doing a reading for us from some of these chapters. And the book is incredible. We're deputizing all the Libro Traficantes within my voice, everyone from Nesta Palabra, every, every Latina, you are deputized to spread the word about our book. And we want to give a big hug to Maria Hinojosa for changing the world and keeping us in the imagination of this whole nation. And as as is our due, un abrazo grande. Oh, Tony, un abrazo grande from Harlem, New York City to you. Uh, we got this, people, we got this. So nos vamos a habitar. Um, if we feel sad, bueno, a veces, pero we got this. Y ese espíritu me lo da mi gente latina, mi gente mexicana, mis, mis paisanos. Every day I see them right here in New York. ¿Cómo están? Pues bien aquí. Siempre hacia el futuro. So, muchas gracias, Tony. Muchos besitos, and I'll see you live when we're doing our live reading together. Yay! Yes! Unidos!
No vamos pa' ningún lado, ya estamos todos cansados. Esto sí que nos dio duro, desde que llegó este virus, estamos todos trancados. Desde que llegó este virus, estamos todos in the morning, and the full moon was shining through Berta's bedroom window. Her beloved Colonia Narvarte, which was usually a cacophony of sounds, the street sweepers, the knife sharpener's panpipe, the silver, almost church bell sound of the garbage truck, the barking street mutts of all shapes and sizes. Instead, it was eerily silent. Not even the birds she fed regularly were up. Berta got out of bed, and looked at the clothes she had laid out the night before. This would be the outfit she would travel in as she said goodbye to her birthplace. It had to be perfect and memorable. Berta wanted people to see her, just like when she went to parties. She wanted them to see the arrival of this new American. She wanted people to do a double-take when she walked by, and not because of the four children she would be bringing with her. In front of her lay a white satin button-down shirt and a black velvet skirt and the off-white lace petticoat slip that went underneath. She studied her pearl-drop earrings and opaque pearl choker. Then her eyes were drawn to the floor, where her pair of black patent leather slingbacks were at the ready. She smiled to herself. Berta, my mother, was not worried about leaving her country behind. For six months she'd been preparing and processing— she knew my father, Raúl, was struggling to comprehend the enormity of his impending new American citizenship, something that he was required to commit to as part of his new job. But Berta knew Mexico would always be her home, no matter what. She would always have her green Mexican passport and an American green card. For her, there was no contradiction. After staring at her clothes in a daze, the moon now beginning to set, and the light blue of morning beginning to brighten over the volcano, El Popocatépetl, Berta realized she wasn't just smiling. She felt ecstatic. For a full month, the butterflies that were usually a sign of a baby kicking in her belly were now in her tummy because of the thrill of this upcoming adventure, and it was finally here. Still, a small part of her felt ashamed. She was having a hard time understanding exactly why she felt so happy about leaving everything she knew behind. Why was this so much easier for her than it had been for Raúl? Quiero ser más libre. No quiero que nadie me controle, ni mi mamá, ni mi papá, ni mis hermanos. Yo quiero ser yo. Amo a Raúl y él me ama como soy. Quiero ver el mundo y criar a mis hijos a ser independientes. Quiero ser una mujer entera. Y no sé si lo puedo lograr aquí en México. My mother said, I want to be freer. I don't want anyone to control me. Not my mother, my father, or my brothers and sisters, 
I want to be me. I love my husband, Raul, and he loves me as I am. I want to see the world and raise my children to be independent. I want to be a complete woman. And I don't know if I can do that here in Mexico. One by one, she woke up her children, starting with the oldest, Bertelena, who was about to turn seven. Berta helped her get dressed, all sleepy like a rag doll. But soon she perked up and assumed her role as her mother's helper. She combed her thick, jet black hair and added a pink barrette. She pulled her white button-down sweater over the black dress Manuela, her abuelita, had made special for her just for this trip, and then she put on her frilly white socks and white leather shoes. My mom took care of me, dressing me in an off-white baby dress she had sewn with a delicate crochet hem she'd designed herself. I was a crawler, so mom carried me everywhere that morning, as she did every day. Even as she supervised my two brothers and sister, she never let me go. Mommy called me her chicle, her gum, because I was always stuck to her. I was her little baby girl, the last one she would have, because, unlike my siblings, I was not planned or expected. There would be no more babies, so Berta doted on me. Every minute. With my brothers and sister, everything had been a bit utilitarian. But with me, she savored every moment. She wanted to raise me in slow motion, making every memory with her final baby last as long as possible.
You're tuning into Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. Instead of inserting a commercial for products right here, we're reminding you that we are on Pledge Drive. Please donate to KPFT on behalf of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. Visit the website kpft.org. Make your pledge online and tell them you're doing it to support Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. We're so proud to bring you programming that no one else can during the Hispanic Heritage Month that people thought there'd be fewer examples of our culture. Happy to prove them wrong. We appreciate your support in the past. We need you right now. Please donate. As a KPFT listener, you have a special opportunity to shorten on-air fundraising by pre-pledging securely online at kpft.org before the on-air portion of the drive begins. We count on listeners like you to contribute to the success of each fund drive, and we thank you for your generous and continued support of KPFT. Since listeners' support is what sustains the station, on-air pledge drives are necessary to inspire other KPFT listeners to become listeners' supporters. But wouldn't it be nice if the on-air portion of the pledge drive were a bit shorter? With your online gift, you can help shorten the on-air drive so we can get you back to the KPFT programming you enjoy. Pre-pledge securely online at kpft.org so that we have it in hand in time to create the final on-air schedule. And thank you again for your continued support of 90.1 KPFT Houston, kpft.org worldwide. (laughs) 